In a not-so-stable world, it is crucial to amplify the right message. At the Stream Grace Network, our goal is to do just that. We are adding to our stable of podcasters every month, and we are growing. This is where you come in. We want to share in that growth. If you are a small business owner looking to grow your business, we'd love it if you'd consider allowing one of our podcasters to endorse you, your products, or services. The best part is that endorsement will never stop running in any episode it is a part of, ever. This is a unique and rare benefit in digital advertising. We want everything we do to be uplifting and to encourage positive growth. And we'd love to partner with you. For more information, visit us online at StreamGrace.com or email us at support at StreamGrace.com. God bless. You're listening to the Stream Grace Network. Thanks for joining us on the Renewed You Podcast. We're here to help you discover how mental, physical, and spiritual health combine to help you live your best life. We want to give you hope, tools, and encouragement because the world needs a renewed you. Now, here's your host, John Yule. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining me today on the Renewed You Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn that by having mental health, spiritual health, and physical health, you too can live a renewed life. Today's episode is sponsored by New Life Church. We want to encourage you to visit newlifeokc.org to learn more about this new church coming to South Oklahoma City in the spring of 2021. So thank you for checking that out. The theme for today's podcast is redemption. Now, redemption has kind of a spiritual connotation, but we try to try to put the cookies on the bottom shelf on this podcast. So I want you to think about redemption this way. The failures that don't derail us become the facts that define our success. Because every single one of us have had times where things didn't go exactly the way that we had planned. And so many people let those things derail them and keep them from dreaming, keep them from pursuing the things that they have in their heart. But if you look up any great success at any course in human history, you will find times where, man, things didn't go exactly as planned, but because they kept pushing forward, they kept being dedicated, they became the people that we still know of and talk about today. And uh, so I just want to encourage you, no matter what you're facing no matter the mistakes that maybe you made. Hey, man, don't let those things derail you. But keep pushing forward to become the person you were designed to be. I've got a special co-host today, my my compadre, my friend. He's been on the podcast before. He is actually the brainchild behind the SGN Podcast Network that we are proudly a part of. He is also my buddy and uh right-hand guy, and uh, he is our worship pastor at New Life Church as well. So the dude just like, dude, how many more hats can we put on your head? Um, Well, as long as we keep sizing them up, it's fine. (laughs) That's good. Anyway, Jeremy Griffin is with us today. Jeremy, thanks for being with me, man. Man, for sure. It's fun. And uh, we've got a special guest with me today. This guy, um, uh, I've got the better end of the deal uh, because I've known this guy since college when I first met him. And uh, he was the cool dude in the leather jacket that that uh, <laughs> when we were in college. And uh, But of all the friends that, that I made and acquaintances that I made, I think one of the things that life does to all of us is when we look back at where we've been, we kind of realize, man, I probably could have done better at that relationship or, or really built more of a friendship there. And John Leggett is one of those guys who just always stands out to me from my college days. And one of the things that, uh, John represents to me is a guy who doesn't change, man. He is, he's always been kind of this rock solid, um, dedicated to God evangelist pastor kind of guy. And no matter what life has thrown at him, he just hasn't changed who he is. And today he is leading a fantastic church in Fort Smith, or sorry, in in uh, Texas, in uh, Wichita Falls, Texas. And uh, he is a part of what is called as the Compassion Network. We'll get into that hopefully a little bit today. But for those of you that are 
uh, regulars on the podcast, you've heard of Hope Center Ministries, and John is involved in that as well. So we, we kind of got a cult thing going on. But uh, for all intents and purposes, I don't want you to view John Leggett as a pastor today, although that's what he does. I want you to view him as someone who he is a leadership guru who is great at helping people overcome their mistakes and turn them into building blocks for their destiny. So with that being said, John, you with me? I am with you. I tell you, after that intro, I don't know what to say now. Dude, that was great. I, I think I'll go back and write it down for you, and you can use it uh, as you travel. Please send it to me. Send it to me. <laughs> John is joining us today via FaceTime. Uh, when we are recording this, we are in the midst of snow apocalypse in the southern part of the United States. Ice and snow is everywhere, and uh, I'm just glad, John, you got power, because there's a lot of people in Texas that don't have power right now. That is the truth. In fact, I've been on the phone all morning with some of my church people that have lost power. In fact, our church lost power. We had intentions of actually opening up our building to allow people to come in to stay. Well, we went and lost power, so we couldn't do that. And So, yeah, it's pretty bad here, pretty bad. Well, I'm just proud of you, man. So let's let's uh, jump into the story, but let's go all the way back to uh, why don't you tell everybody kind of where you're from pre, pre-college days when I met you. Well, I'm originally from North Carolina, a big metropolitan city called Falcon, North Carolina, which I just lied to you, population 498 at that time. And uh, But growing in a small town, my father was a pastor, uh, went on to become the bishop of the IPHC denomination. And uh, that's actually the way I came to Oklahoma. Uh, I came to visit uh, my parents one summer and ended up staying in I was at Emanuel College in Georgia and ended up staying and going to Southwestern. And that's how me and you met, Johnny. Uh, Now, so uh, let's talk about being a PK. I'm a PK. You're a PK. Come on, man. Let's. (laughs) Wouldn't you like to be a PK too? (laughs) Yeah, probably. (laughs) Yes. But uh, come on, man. Um, We really did. PKs get the bad rap, but we really did learn all the bad stuff from the Deacons kids. That is the truth. Come on, guys. Listen, authenticity. (laughs) <laughs> we're being authentic <laughs> oh my goodness yeah in your in your uh teenage years man i know um i know how proud i was of my dad and um i mean your dad was was a legend still is um i was just sitting here thinking john if i close my eyes i hear your dad when you talk well and, i take compliment thank you well, it's meant it meant that way, but uh, come on, growing up as a PK man, I had my ups and my downs. I mean, or were you always solid as a preacher's kid? Uh, Lord no, <laughs> Lord no. I, I'll, I'll say this, uh, Johnny. I've always been a Christian most of my life, even as a teenager. Now, uh, how you define that word Christian and how it ties into how you lived. Uh, you know, I never was a big party or none of that. Uh, unfortunately, what drove my father crazy uh, when I was in high school, I was I was a big fighter. Uh, don't know how that happened because I was a beanpole. And, uh, but that was, uh, literally got suspended a couple of times for fighting. And that just about drove my father crazy. He couldn't hardly handle that. So uh, I kind of lived up sometimes to that PK mentality uh, because of that part of me. But the other part, you know, I wasn't a big, Big partier, uh, never drank a lot, never did drugs. Uh, but the other side of it, uh, the fighting, that was a part that my father just couldn't hardly handle. But Well, so you uh, grew up, uh, had you always wanted, um, I know a lot of the people in my life can't believe that, like my whole life, I just knew kind of what I was going to do, even if I didn't want to do it. You know, I, I remember saying, I'm never doing ministry because <laughs> you saw all the crap. Uh, behind the scenes that goes with it and i was like hey there's no way and yet bam you, you'll wind up being involved in the very thing that at one time you thought you'd never do but uh yet there was always this this thing inside it was like what do you you know that's what you can do does that resonate with you at all i mean did you always want to go into ministry at some point no uh in fact even my first couple of years of college um I had no desire. Uh, I had two things. While I was in high school, I actually wanted to be an architect. Um, that I, By three years of high school, I actually took classes and uh, wanted one day to be an architect. Uh, right about the time I graduated high school, and this is what shocks people, uh, I actually wanted to be a state trooper. 
Uh, that was actually the road I was heading toward. Um, uh, I'd started looking into it. In fact, my first year of college, I actually went and took criminal justice classes. And really, John, more than if you can't beat them, join them. And uh, I got tired of getting tickets. And I thought, well, hey, I'll do that. Uh, it was not until I came to Southwestern. Uh, my first few years at Emanuel, I was not going to be a pastor. Had no desire. Um, although others would tell me that. But my, when I got to Southwestern, um, Paul Jackson, I don't know if you remember him. He was a pastor in North Carolina. He came and did a revival at Muse Memorial Church. Uh, what was funny, that you'll remember this name, uh, Danny Abels. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was with him riding in the car one day, and we we're driving down the road and uh, on our way to that revival. And he said, you know you're going to be a pastor. And I said, man, you better shut up. I have no desire to be no pastor. And I really didn't. Uh, Johnny, you know as well as I. I don't know if any— <laughs> Any PK grows up in a pastor's home and wants to be a pastor. You mm-hmm. you see the the bad, you see the tough, you see what is the expectations put on your parents and on your dad. Um, I had no desire, not not one iota to ever want to be a pastor. And as I'm driving down the road, Danny says, "You know you'll be a pastor one day." And I said, "Man, you're out of your mind. I have no desire to be a preacher." And we went to that revival that night, and at the end of the service, uh, Paul Jackson came to me and uh, said to me, if I'm here in Oklahoma for no other reason, I'm here to call you to the ministry. Now, I'm like you, Johnny. I knew deep down that there was something there. I was denying it, resisting it, trying to fight it. But I knew. But of all my of all the kids in my family, I was probably the least my parents would ever thought would have been a pastor. In fact, I think my dad did that. He The day he ordained me, he had to preach at the Texas Latin Conference in Houston. And uh, my dad told them that day, he said, I just ordained my son. Of all my kids, he's the least <laughs> I ever thought would be a minister. Hmm. So even my father had that belief. So, Well, I, I do identify with that, of course. Jeremy, uh, my, my buddy over here, he always wanted to be a minister. Um, I mean, you know. After I got called. After you got called. <laughs> so what was that phone number that called you that? Uh, it's 405-777-7772. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, well, man, so you're right. We met at Southwestern uh, Christian University. It's a small Christian university in Bethany, Oklahoma, but uh, has a history of some pretty amazing people that have come through those doors that that wound up doing some some great things. Um, and if there was a a hall of heroes, you know, uh, there would be some pretty big name guys that would go up on there that we know. And uh, right up there on there would be John Leggett because you have done. Uh, I mean, most guys uh, when they go into ministry, they maybe they'll they'll be lucky and they'll just strike it right and they'll they'll uh, take a church and turn it around and, and it'll really start to blossom um, but most guys never get the shot to do that twice and then to have the second one go even farther than the first one i mean that's just kind of amazing john and that to me that's not just a testament to your leadership ability but i i really think it's a testament to the humility that you walk in um we're actually we were writing some stuff this week um on some core values for our church and one of those being humility that the lower that we go the more humble we go the higher god can lift us and of course i totally ripped that off of one of the guys that has meant a lot to you that being robert morris um, yes. who, who really is one of the most humble guys you know that in, in ministry today um were you always as humble as you are now <laughs> well uh, i would like to say that my humility is because um uh, well, let me how, how how do I say this, uh, Johnny? I've I've always struggled with the fact of feeling worthy uh, or deserving of what God has done in my life. So the humility that I have is really just knowing that it when the Bible says God uses the uh, the foolish thing to confound the wise, uh, I feel I, I fit that scripture very uh, very much to a T. I've never felt quite as if I deserved or uh, what God has done. Um, uh, I have surrounded myself both times in both churches that I've pastored with great teams. That's one thing I recognized. 
And if leaders will ever recognize that, uh, that if you remind yourself you're humbled because you can't do everything. I know what I do and I know what I do well, and that's it. And everything else, I, I have to give away. I have to, what I call the push-down principle. I, I've got to give it to somebody else. Um, ministry, if I had gone to another field, maybe, Johnny, I wouldn't have been as humbled. Ministry, I, I felt uh, not deserving to do it. I felt unable to do it, but God called me into it. Uh, I, I even remember when I first got into pastorate, uh, sitting down with my father, sometimes my father, my brother-in-law, and Johnny, I don't know if you ever felt this way with your dad, but I'm feeling undeserved to be at the table. Totally. All the time. Still do. Oh, yeah. T- sitting there, t- they'd be talking about ministry, and I would feel so out of sorts and unworthy to be at the table. So when I, when you talk about humility, it, it's maybe, <laughs> maybe instead of humility, it's more insecurity. Um, and that's why I've always had to surround myself with greater leaders than me. Um, people that I knew could help me accomplish the task. People ask me that all the time. How have y'all grown the church? to the size it is. And I say, team, team, uh, I think God just blessed me in the ability to recognize great leaders and able to bring them on. So when you say humility, um, I don't know how to address that because if I call myself humble, I'm not, I'm not humble. Uh, it really is more of an insecurity, I think sometimes. And, and I've had people say, I can't believe when you use the word insecure, but, but I do struggle with that. Even today, even with what God has done, uh, there'll be those days I wake up, look in the mirror and go, God, are you serious? Mm-hmm. Did everybody else say no? Did mm-hmm. everybody else do it? Or was I just the stupidest one that was willing to make the, accept the call? Mm-hmm. I don't know. But so, no, you know, I think when I stepped into this realm, uh, I just had to say, God, I cannot do it without you. Yeah. If, if I if I if I do it on my own ability, I will fail. Um, and if I do it on my own ability, it won't get done. But I think that is the essence of the humility that we're talking about. The guys that figure out that, um, God, if you don't, if you don't do this or the guys that figure out, God, you are the one doing this, not me, um, uh, are the ones that stay humble. And, um, one of the great things that I did, I don't know, about five years ago is I kind of went through my own renewal in, in my whole life was a really, um, studying some of the writings of Paul, but I began to look at guys, not from what they taught, but from who they were and began to read Paul's writings and the progression of his humility. Um, he starts off by declaring that he's the least of the apostles. And then he comes back in second Corinthians and you know, he's the least of all the saints. And then the last letter he wrote before his death, he's the chief of all sinners. So that progression of humility, that it isn't about me at all. Um, I think, I think the more that as people that claim to be Christ followers, um, uh, the more that we continue to recognize that whatever happens in our life, it's not really about us. The more that it's about him, then that's that lower that we go as Robert Morris teaches, you know, the lower you go, the higher God can pull you up. Yeah. You know, that was me. Paul's one. I love to read Paul. And that's the first verse you said. There's one of the ones that I've kind of built my ministry around. Paul didn't feel deserving or worthy. Um, and I think Paul throughout his ministry, we, we look at Paul, he was very zealous. And I think we have this mindset sometimes when someone's very zealous, it means that they're very confident. It's not necessarily true. In fact, I found sometimes some of the most zealous people, I've sat down with a lot of leaders. Anytime that I can meet with a leader, uh, I'll meet with them and say, hey, can you give me an hour? I'll, I'll, I'll buy you lunch. Can I just pick your brain? And there's always this belief that the zealousness that they have is because of the arrogance. I've learned that's not true. Uh, I've learned what happens many times is that zealot, just like Paul was, comes from the fact that they know, God, God, for you to call me when I'm not deserving or worthy, God, I'll give it my all. I'll do whatever it takes. You know, <laughs> you, you may have seen this in college. I, I'm not very talented when it comes to sports. I play hard. Mm-hmm. When I play basketball, I'm not very good at it. So when I play basketball, I played hard at it. So in other words, I would knock you around and oh, push yeah. you, all of that because I had to make up for my lack of talent. And I think sometimes that's the way it is with great leaders that become very zealous, uh, that they have decided in their mind, God, I can't believe you called me. I can't believe you didn't get somebody else. And I, when I read Paul's writings, I think that's how Paul was. God, I can't believe. And because you've called me, God, I'll do everything I can. I think where we fail and fall many times as leaders is when we are successful, when the church gets 
wanted it to be. When the numbers rise, for a moment we forget, and we think it's because of us. Right. And we've seen, especially lately, a lot of pastors failing, and that are things that are taking place. And we need to be reminded every day, if it wasn't for God, if it wasn't for who we surround ourselves with, we would not be where we are. Totally. You know, I think something about this humility is kind of interesting to me. You guys both talk about not feeling qualified at times. And, and I think that, uh, there's two versions of that, right? So there's the, I'm not qualified because there's so many other people better than me. Then there's, I'm not qualified because God, right? Because God, which is what I think of when I think of Moses, you know, Moses, God's like, Hey, I need you to free my people. I'm not qualified. (laughs) Right. And so I think the key to this is, and why so many guys fall off that humility bandwagon is that they've weighed their humility against other men instead of against God. If we weigh it against God, we will always be in that space where Paul was. That's where he was weighing it. Right. So when you weigh it against man, then you can stay humble until you get to a certain point and all of a sudden the guys you're comparing yourself to, you've surpassed. But when you set that standard as God, as my standard, well, of course, I'm never going to live up to that. And right. it makes makes you uh, keep keep him forward, keep him in front. And, and then also recognizing that we are simply just tools in his hands. And no matter what he does, you know, I always tell my teams to, when you keep, or anybody really, when you keep your eyes on him, not only will you accomplish whatever it is he wants you to accomplish, you won't know what you're accomplishing. I mean, you have to stop, look around to see what quote unquote you did. But if you keep your eyes on him, you'll never see that. And that's what we see with Peter in the boat. As soon as he took his eyes off of the Lord and looked at his surroundings, he began to be affected by them one way or the other. He could have just as easily went, man, I'm walking on water and been super excited. Either one of those would have been wrong. And I think, I think that's the key to humility is recognizing, man, I am, I am not worthy of the creator that is all 100% good. Yeah. So, anyway. Well, I, yeah. I like, when I look at Paul, I guess one of the things that I like about him, uh, we had a, John, you and I had a mutual teacher in, in college, um, Dr. Tunstall, who was famous for uh, trying to knock biblical heroes off the pedestal that we've built them on because he was convinced that once we make them human, then they become relatable. Um, something I've built, you know, even my my style of, of ministry around. So when you take Paul, who wrote, you know, over a third of the New Testament, and you knock him off the pedestal, you realize this is a dude who screwed up from the very beginning. This was a guy who thought he knew what he was doing, did everything in his own mind with the right motives, but was horrible at what he was doing to these uh, young Christ followers and killing him and slaughtering him. And, and yet in the midst of that horribleness, um, he has this encounter with the risen Christ and realizes that, uh, in Christ's own words, you know, you're not hurting these people. You're actually hurting me. And, and that encounter then takes a murderer and turns him into a missionary for the rest of his life. Most people, listening today of course we're all ministers but uh they may not know that paul only lived to be about third about um uh he he got saved he had this encounter many people believe around 36 a.d and um so he he really was only a christian for about 30 years because uh when he died he he had he hadn't been even a christian as long as he had been this other religious zealot guy and yet it was within that last half of his time that god used him to change a lot of people's lives. Um, and so many of us think we get to the halfway point of life. I've been thinking about this for a book. I'm, I'm think I'm starting to write outlining right now, um, called it's only halftime. And this idea that we get to whatever this middle age is in life. And we think, man, it's over when yet for Paul, it was the beginning <laughs> of what right. God, he had finally gotten to the place that, that God could use him. Jeremy and I have been talking a lot lately just about, um, why God has connected us at this point in our lives. And, and we both kind of think for the first time in our lives, it's not about us. We're really, really way more concerned about what God is doing and can do through us than we are about getting our names out there. Um, and, and, uh, did you ever have kind of that moment in your life where, man, you thought everything was going exactly right. And then just something happens that, that kind of derailed it. Well, yeah, I, I, years ago in my life, I had a, a failure take place that rocked my world. Um, when you were talking earlier, uh, you know, I'd pastored a church for years, and uh, something happened in my life that 
it changed everything for me. Um, you know, I had a successful church. Things were doing great. Uh, everything was wonderful. But many times people don't see what's going on, on the outside. They see your success, but they don't know what's going on inside your life. And for me, I was battling with depression. Uh, I had some health issues nobody knew about. And so because of that, it just sent me down a road that really, the other thing with me was I was pastoring a church. I loved it. I loved the church that I was pastoring. But I woke up one day and sitting on the edge of the bed, I was crying. And my wife said, what is wrong? And I'm not, I was not a crier at that moment. I never cried. She said, what is wrong? I said, I'm done here. She said, what do you mean you're done? I said, I'm done here. The vision that God has given me for the ministry that God's, I feel playing inside of me doesn't fit here. I was pastoring a white collar, uh, white church. And to be honest with you, people were not getting saved. And instead of being brave enough to step out and go find something else, I began to fall into depression and sadness and allow something to happen in my life. It would be from there that God would rock my world. I wouldn't say that I had a Paul moment, but I would say maybe close to a Paul moment on the road to Damascus. But I'll never forget I'm driving down the road. As I'm driving down the road one day, I'm now, after what had happened in my life, I'm a, I was a crier. I cried all the time. I was a big, my, my family would laugh and say that I cried at Hallmark commercials and, uh, you know, all Chris, uh, Hallmark Christmas movies and all of that. And, um, and I'll never forget I'm driving down the road one day and uh, crying out to the Lord, and not in an audible voice, but in my spirit, I heard, I feel like he said to me, he said that your latter years will be far greater than your former years. And I'm like, God, there's no way. There's no way. Not with after what's happened in my life. There's no way. As if, Johnny, we have the right to fight with God. Right. I wreck God. In other words, like, God, I think in the parking lot you got in the wrong car. You should have gotten somebody else's car. And, uh, and, I, and I said it again. I said, God, there's no way. And then again, in my spirit, I felt the Lord said to me, John, your latter days will be far greater than your former days. And I uh, kept crying. And I was on my way to visit, actually, Pastor Steve Perdue. I was on my way to his church to visit him. And as I pulled in his parking lot, uh, something happened that rocked my world. Written on his marquee sign was, your latter days will be far greater than your former days. I always tell people that God thought I was so stupid he had to give me a sign. (laughs) And from there, I thought ministry for me was over. And I thought for me that my life would never be the same. And I think God had to remind me, God had to share with me that John— I can take any bad, I can take anything in your life and turn it for good. We all know that. We've heard that. And it would be on that day that I really began to get the Word, and I began to get books and sit down and study what the Word was about. And I think what was happening to me at the church that I was pastoring at that time, um, although we were growing by leaps and bounds and God was doing wonderful things, I have a heart for the lost. That is where my heart's at, has always been. And the church I was at, we were growing, but let me be honest, we were growing uh, because we were get, we were the new church in town, and all the other churches, people were leaving come to our church. I didn't want that. I wanted lost people. And it would be on that time that God would really rock my world, change my life. I would get in the Word and begin to study and really begin to have a heart for the lost. And then when God brought me here to Wichita Falls, you know, probably about 70% of our church is lost people. And I mean lost. I mean wretched drugs and alcohol, prison, on the way to prison. We've had numerous guys that have come to our church that actually were looking at 25-year sentences um, that God, they got saved in our church. God changed their life. Um, and it's because I have a heart for the lost. That's what we push. But it was at that moment that God changed my life, that I think that I had that road to Damascus life change for me. Although I was already a Christian, I was already a believer. For me, it was that moment that God says, but what are you doing it for? Mm-hmm. I had a friend say one time, he said, God asked him, do you want to, be, do you want to share the gospel or you, do you want to be a superstar pastor? And he says, I was shot with what I said. He said, I, refer- I said back to God, I want to be a superstar preacher. Hmm. And he said, it rocked my world. He said, I was just being honest. And, and for me, I think we were doing so well and the church was growing that I lost sight of that I really wasn't changing lives, that I really wasn't having an impact. Um, I think when you ask God to give you the ones nobody else wants, God will give you the ones that everybody does want. And I think that that's where on that road that day as I traveled, my road to Damascus, 
God rocked my world. He let me know that he was there. I think the second thing is, is God let me know that despite my past, my my past does not define me. Mm-hmm. My does. And so often we allow our mistakes and our past to define our rest of our lives. And at that moment when God said, your latter years be far greater than your former years, God was saying, you're thinking what was meant to destroy you. I'm telling you what was meant to destroy you is the very thing that will get you to become who I've called you to be. So, yeah, I've had that moment. And I think we all have those moments throughout our life. I do. Well, I totally agree with you. Um, I use a, the analogy of uh, Chandra. You know my wife uh, quite well. Um, and uh, she used to hide. She would droop her hair down and she would hide a scar on her forehead uh, that she got from when she fell and uh, hit her head on a coffee table. And she she hid it for a long time. And one day she moved her hair and I saw it for the first time. And I was like, hey, why are you hiding that? You know? And she said, well, it's a scar. It's ugly. And um, it became one of my favorite things. I don't, I don't know why. It just it would attract my attention to this day. I still look at it. And I've learned through the years that love doesn't overlook scars. Love falls in love with scars. And it's a, yes. and, and, and the scars is what makes makes the person beautiful because the scars are a story of, of a past that's been overcome. And. Uh, so many of us, we all experience those moments like what you're kind of alluding to where things kind of implode in our life and what we do in those moments that follow those immediate moments really do set us up for either a new trajectory that's going to be higher than where we were, or they're going to be a downward spiral that so many people wind up not being able to get out of. And kind of the hope of this podcast is to try to inspire people that have had those hiccups in life to let them be just that um, and and find a way to pick themselves up and push forward so something happened we're not going to go into that uh, but it was it was a big deal man for you i remember when it happened yes um i had heard about we had heard it through the grapevine on the day or i think it was the day of and i remember looking at shander and we both said the same thing let's go find him and we started making phone calls. I don't know if you remember that or not, but yeah, we I found out, we found out you were at your dad's house, and we jumped in the car. Other side of the city didn't matter, man. And I'll never forget. I don't even remember anything about your parents' house. I knew it was a good size house, but all I cared about was getting to you and hugging you and just letting you know that, man, we're your friends, and it doesn't matter. Um, I guess it's just kind of that when when you experience grace for yourself in a moment where you need it, it drives you to give it to others, you know. You know what I'm saying? And um, so you, you you moved away from Oklahoma City. You resigned the church. And, and uh, um, can you talk about the interim time period at all? Um, how did you kind of, what did you go through to get back on track? For those people that feel like they've messed up and there's no return option. Right. Yeah, we, we end up taking what I'd call a sabbatical. Um, and we moved to South Carolina and went there. And I actually had been blessed, became a church consultant uh, at that time, helping to um, build churches and all that. And really just a time of self-reflection. What lead, what leads you to that moment? How you got there? Um, how you allowed it to happen? And for me, for the, that next about year, uh, we just really spent time with my family. Um, and that's pretty much where I was living in South Carolina. That's all I had was my family, me, my children, my wife. And we really just spent time uh, together, loving each other, and really time for me to reflect. You know, you, you made a comment. You said, uh, when it comes to grace, when you've been shown grace, you know, for me, I think when you've been shown grace, either one thing, one or two things happen. Uh, either you become more gracious uh, or you become more bitter. In other words, well, how dare you look down on me because of what I did? Well, I never did that. I was so humble. To this day, I still share my testimony, um, at least twice a year in our church. I share my testimony. I'm pretty open about it. Uh, I discuss it quite often. In fact, my wife many times tells me not to discuss it. She said, good Lord, would you stop? But uh, in fact, I had a guy one day tell me that after my he came to me to my office after me sharing my testimony. And he said, man, listen, you shouldn't have to share that anymore. And I really wish you'd stop and da 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 He said, I love you. You're a great leader and a great pastor. But I hate that you have to do that. And I said, no, I think I need to do that. My testimony needs to be told. Uh, it, it, in fact, I just shared it 
uh, about two or three weeks ago. Uh, that week that I share my testimony, Johnny, it's tough. I, I'm out of it. Uh, it's tough for me uh, because I'm going to get up before my congregation and I'm going to express and tell everything that I've done and what happened in my life. And you never know how someone's going to act, how they're going to take it. And uh, and I usually start out by saying, if you don't know my testimony, I just up front say I'm sorry. And uh, normally what I do is we have cardboard testimonies. People come up and do their testimony, and I'll come up with a blank cardboard. And I'll hold it up and say, mine is not blank because I'm perfect. Mine is blank because if I wrote on this cardboard my title, you'd probably run out the door before I could explain. And then I go into the mm -hmm. testimony and begin to lay out. What I do is always lay out the whole story. Many times in a failure in someone's life, all we see is the failure. We don't see the before, the during, or the after. And we become very dismissive. And for me, I always share the whole story. And I always say this, not an excuse, but an explanation. Let me explain. Because anytime you get out of the will of God, you open up yourself for the enemy to come in and wreak havoc. And for me, during that time, we literally just spent that year just seeking the Lord. Um, I said I wasn't going to do any ministry. But the church that we went to while we were there, within the first few weeks, they asked me. They knew my story. I told them up front. And they asked, will you come in and redo our assimilation? They knew that my gifting was uh, systems and models. So when they came in, they said, can you redo our systems and our model when it comes to our um, uh, assimilation ministry is what they called it then. And I said, yes, I, I did it. And we never took one Sunday off. We literally went from, we're going to take off a few months and not go to church to, I think the next Sunday we were in mm -hmm. church because that's who I am. And during that time, we really just sought the Lord. I really got into the word. I really began to realize that what I thought church was, was not what church was. Um, for me, if lives were not being changed, if the loss were not being saved, if marriages were not being restored and, and, and people were not filing fulfillment, then I felt as a pastor, I wasn't doing my job. So I spent that time trying to figure that out. And, you know, I can begin to share stories. I, I'm not one of those, you know me, Johnny. I'm not one of those that gives much into, uh, I believe in dreams and visions, but I'm a little bit skeptical. You know mm -hmm. me. If you, if you come up to me and say, God told me, I'm probably going to go, okay, all right. <laughs> yeah. You know I'm that way. We're very much alike in that. We are. I'm very much that way. And, and, and I get it probably some from my father. And But it was during this time things would begin to happen. And I'll share this. Um, one day I'm sitting on the couch uh, at the house. I'd fallen asleep taking a nap. And I had a dream. And I'm not one to get into dreams like that. And, but I'd never experienced a dream so real in my life. It was, in fact, in the dream, I remember talking to myself. And I remember talking to the Lord in the dream. And I was in this town, and I'm going from here to there. And uh, I'm seeing all these different, what I would call, landmarks in the town. And eventually I stopped, and I'm in a parking lot of a business, and I'm looking across the road. And as I'm looking across the road, I see this church, and I can, in my dreams, I mean, I literally saw the church. It was so plain as day. And I remember asking the Lord, what are you telling me? What are you telling me, God? And also I remember about the dream is how green the town was. It was just green as green could be. Then I woke up and uh, told my wife. Uh, that was how clear the dream was to me. And I told my wife, I said, let me tell you this dream that I just had. It would be within a few days that I would get a phone call about the church that I'm at today, mm -hmm. not really knowing. And uh, during this time, because I felt like we were seeking the Lord, God was revealing to me things that I'd never really experienced before. And um, so we got invited to come try out for the church, which, again, I shared my testimony up front about my past. And they said, it doesn't matter. Come on. And when we're here, uh, I joke because at that time we had Tom Tom. You did navigation. And Tom Tom was stupid, stupid. And it took us the wrong route. Well, the route that it took us was the route that I went in my dreams. It was the weirdest thing. My wife had asked on the way here, how are we going to know that this is God's will? And I said, well, when we get there, if the church that we see is what I described in my dream, we'll know. And as soon as we come driving down the road, which took us the wrong way, which took us down the way that I, I came in my dream. Boom, there's the church. And as soon as we see it, Laura starts crying. She points. She goes, that's the church. In the, in the dream, you described him. And I said, that's it. 
I always joke because when I tell this testimony, everybody goes, yeah, but Pastor, you said it was as green as green could be. And Wichita Falls <laughs> ain't green. <laughs> I mean, you're Texas, and we have about uh, you know, a month of green, and that, after that, it's, it's you know, dead. Everything's dead. Well, in 2007, when I came here, we had a flood, and the whole town had flooded, and the town was as green as green could be. Hmm. And I tell people that. I said, please hear me. I, I believe a lot of dreams are nothing more than pizza dreams, uh, something you dreamed before you, something you were thinking about before you went to bed. I said, but that I knew was a God dream. And I think God did that to me because I'd spent that year really focusing on God, really searching the Word. What do you want to do? I'll be honest with you, Johnny. I didn't know during that time that pastoring was in the cards for me. Really? I didn't. I thought after the mistake that I'd made, that was gone. That mm -hmm. dream was gone. And uh, I would never see it again. And in fact, I even had someone I love very much tell me that. Um, but what happened was, is we went to uh, Christmas in 2006, Christmas. Uh, we went to Laurie's family. He, Richard always does something, my father-in-law. Uh, at the end, he always said, okay, what do we want to pray for for next year? What do you want to pray for for next year? What do you want God to do? And I'll never forget when he came around to me and Laurie, I just started bawling. And I said, I want to be back pastoring again. And I'll never forget when I said the words, I thought to myself, God, am I, am I asking for something that's impossible? And what I did, uh, you know, it would be within a few months that they would get the church and start pastoring Wichita Falls. And uh, the people would accept my past, love me. And that's really what our church has been built on ever since. Church of Second Chances, a church for the lost, a church for uh, the unchurched. Uh, that's what we have many times tried to move out of the area we're in. We're more in what we call the avenues is where we're at, which is more of a rougher area. And we many times have tried to move, but God won't let us move. He's kept us in this area. But I think what we learn through that is, is God doesn't care about your titles or your mistakes or what you've done wrong. If you have a humble heart, if you're repentant, there's always, as we're, this podcast is about, there's always redemption. And, you know, Paul, Paul being one of those, um, uh, Paul struggled. Paul just says, the things I don't want to do, I do. And the things I shouldn't do, I keep doing. So Paul continued to show with his life, the things I ought to do, I don't do. And the things I shouldn't do, I keep doing. You know, there's even a past where Paul says, I've got a thorn in my side. Mm -hmm. And it, we always, and, and I may be theologically wrong, but we've always thought that that was a, a flesh problem, that the eyes or there was a problem with his, his hip or his leg. And, but he goes, but thy grace you know, is sufficient for me. I've always wondered if it was a, a problem with his body, if there was probably something that Paul struggled with that he had to overcome, but that God still used him. Peter, the same way earlier, Peter got mentioned. I've always wondered, you know, we talk about when Peter gets out of the boat and walks on the water. My thing is, what do you think Peter was probably experiencing before he got out of the boat? I wondered how many of the disciples said, oh, come on, exactly. Peter. Why are you, where are you going, Peter? I, what you got to be a showboat for, Peter? Why you got to try to impress everybody, Peter? Just get back in the boat. Or did he hear them talking to each other? There goes Peter again, show off. I can tell you exactly what Judas and Thomas were doing. Judas well, Judas was betting Thomas, and Thomas is like, I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> I saw perfect. that one coming. <laughs> but still, you know that's true. He probably was experiencing... Um, those disciples going, oh, crud, there goes Peter again, blowhard Peter, you know, act first, think second Peter, here he goes again. And yet, you know, when I look at that story, at least what I see are, are the 11 other dudes sitting in the boat. You exactly. know? I mean, at least yeah. Peter got out of it. Yeah, that's what I always say. At least Peter, I'd rather get out of the boat and fail a thousand times and stay in the boat and never be successful at all. You know, that's me. That's yeah, me. when you look at that story, for those of you that don't know what we're talking about, you have the disciples, the 12 disciples that are in a boat. Um, this is in the New Testament, and Jesus is walking on the water. And Peter then just shouts out, you know, Lord, if that's really you. So Peter wasn't really sure, first of all, that it was Jesus, first of all. It, he was dumb. Let's be real. I mean, because no. think about this. If it wasn't Jesus, if it was what they perceived as some sort of evil spirit, like the evil spirit's going to be like, well, he said, only if I'm Jesus, call me out. So right. I better not say anything. No, he said, come out here and drown. That's right. But you know what? Again, Peter didn't stop to think. No, he, he just doesn't. did. 
Which so, is good. That's a lesson we should it learn. Sure, it is. But Peter didn't know what he was even talking to, but said, if it's you, let me come <laughs> to you. The, and, and Lord, when, if it's you, bid me come. And then when 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 the, the voice talks, and here's where I kind of qualify Peter. Um, Peter obviously didn't see Christ, but he heard his voice. Yes. And he recognized the voice. And when he heard, come to me, something shifted in him. And the sucker got out of the boat, you know, while the other 11 others were sitting there afraid. And um, I, I don't know. I guess when I had my um, that that come to Jesus moment for me uh, five years ago in, in 20, 2016 and just decided, you know, Lord, I'm going to trust your voice and not what I see all the time, because what we see can fool us. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm sure there were a lot of people in your life. I if I had been around at that point in your life would have never been one. I hope I proved it that day. But since I don't know, like I said, man, when you've experienced grace for yourself, um, I think Jeremy, my buddy over here gets tired of hearing me say it, but I mean it with everything inside of me. I just like to be on the sidelines and cheer people on. Now it's like, you know, I'm a dreamer. I got ideas. I got things I want to accomplish. But I would so much rather help other people achieve their dreams and cheer their success on. Um, it just, I don't know, it just gives me a guess. And so um, there is not, I, I want you to hear me, John Leggett, because we haven't said this until before this podcast right now. But I want you to know, there is not a video you put on Facebook that Shander and I don't watch. And there have been many, many times that we have looked at each other and said, wow, we got to be there when they needed somebody the most. And that's all we want to do for, for the rest of our lives is find those people um, and say, Hey man, we believe in you when nobody else does. And at least you, when his voice called, you didn't wait to see what you saw. I mean, you saw something, but you got out and you walked. Um, and, and so you wind up at Wichita fault. I mean, come on. I know Lori, Come on, man. Laurie is like me. She is sooner born, sooner bred. When she dies, she'll be sooner dead. To think that girl lives in Texas. Do you, does she still raise up the OU flag on the pole or something? Oh, listen, the first day we we're unloading the U-Haul, just got here. She goes out on the front yard and puts an OU flag. And I said, Laurie, at least let me get acclimated into the city. Oh, no. Uh, and listen, there are she can't help herself. There are days when Texas and OU play that she can't help herself from the pulpit because Laurie does our welcomes. She'll get up to our welcomes on Sunday, and I said, Laurie, don't, don't, Laurie, don't do it. You Whatever. The husband don't have no right telling his wife what to do or don't do. <laughs> no power at all, Johnny. She does what she wants to, and I've just accepted it. And uh, you know, Johnny, it is those days. It was, uh, my, my wife is begging me. In fact, I, we had a lady in the church the other day. She just moved back. She's a, a deputy sheriff, and she just moved back, got a job with the federal government. But when she came back, first thing she asked me, she said, Pastor, have you wrote the book yet? Have you wrote the book? And and my wife keeps getting on to me. My father, in fact, we've looked for pretty extensively. We can't find it. Uh, we thought my father had started writing a book before he passed. But my wife has said, you need to write a book. And... Uh, one of the chapters I'll have in the book will be those that were there, you know, uh, the Bob Schaefer's, uh, Bob mm-hmm. Schaefer's my spirit. He was there from the get go. I didn't even know Bob Schaefer at the time. He, this is how God works. He called me during this time. Uh, the Bob Schaefer's, um, uh, the, uh, Joel Tassiella's that actually gave us a place to stay. Um, the Dr. Tunster was mentioned Dr. Tunster earlier. Um, I, I received a phone call. Uh, quite a few phone calls within the first day of all this happening. Uh, Dr. Tunstall called me and uh, said, John, I want you to know this is a speed bump in your life. And uh, this is what he said to me. And you, you have to understand the backdrop. He said, God told me to tell you, remember the rainbows. Remember the rainbow. Well, a few months before this happened, me and my Lord, wife were driving down the road, coming back from somewhere. We saw these beautiful rainbows in the sky. In fact, we've never, it stuck out to us so much. We actually pulled over and took pictures of them. And it's almost like that day God told us, spoke to us, and said, remember the rainbows. Mm-hmm. So when Dr. Tunstall called me, he said, I don't know why I'm supposed to tell you this, but God told me to tell you, remember the rainbows. Within a few hours, I get a call from uh, Pastor Bob Schaefer. He would say the same thing to me. John, I don't know why I'm supposed to tell you this, but God told me to tell you, remember the rainbows. 
And that became an ongoing theme in our life. But it was those that were there, those that, because during that time, you, you, you can never express how low you feel. Uh, I, I'll never forget, uh, we at that time took my son to his first day of, of kindergarten, and all this had just happened. And you, you cannot imagine how hard it was to walk down the halls, walking my son's school, and keeping my head up. It, it was almost like physically something was pushing my, you put your head down, you don't deserve to keep it up. But my father had always taught me, you put your head up and your chest out. And that was the hardest thing for me. I, I wish I could say even today, it's, I think, Johnny, 18 years later. I wish I can say even that long now that I don't battle sometimes with the condemnation. I do. I can't say that I don't sometimes think about it, go, oh, John Leggett. It's still there. Um, I think we have to get out of the past. Paul said, not looking at those things which are behind us, but striving for the prize that lies ahead. And you've got to do that. You've got to forget about the past. But in the same token, though, be humbled by the past. Mm-hmm. That you never fall into that place again. That you make sure that your life never opens itself to that position again. And through all of that, it was the people that were there that reached out to me, that loved on me. You know, y'all coming that day because your first response, in, in my mind, is, is nobody's going to have anything to do with me. But then yeah. when other you come and that are there and love. And, and, and I'll have to say during that time, it, it, there is a blur. You're in la-la land. I'll never forget one day, you know, we're staying with my parents and my dad walks in to me and Laura, I've been watching TBN all day. It's like we've got to spiritually make ourselves right. We've got to, you know, we've got to somehow to pay a price. So mm-hmm. we literally would watch TBN all day during this time. Well, you were paying a big price, buddy. Yeah, I was paying a big price. <laughs> <laughs> and my dad comes in and walks in the door. He says, get off the couch. Get up. He says, you're not going to do this. It's those stories of people in your life. The, the greatest story I tell of those in my life was my dad. I had to go up to the headquarters, and I had to walk into my dad's office and tell him. And I'm expecting my dad to go, I can't believe you did this, John. I'm the bishop of the denomination. Look what you've done to me. I'm just expecting him to yell at me, scream at me, shout at me. It's not what he did. My dad got up from the desk walked around the corner, put his arms around me and said, John, it's going to be all right. We're going to make it through this. This is just a speed bump in your life. Not only did I get a vision of a earthly father that loved his son no matter what, I got a visual of a heavenly father that says, John, do you for one moment think that this cha- this has changed my call in your life? The Bible says the call of God is without repentance. Mm-hmm. You know, prior to all this happening, uh, Someone kind of spoke in my life one day and just really began to lay some things out and what the plan that God had for my life. And it was pretty big. Uh, it was spoken that I would pastor and make a church. It was spoken that I would uh, lead a great revival, different things that were spoken. But I will never forget the person that day saying to me, but the church you're in today is not the church. And I'm thinking, what? No, 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 this is it. How great it's going. And all these people in my life, you and Dr. Tunstall and Pastor Bob Schaefer, my dad, Joel Tassett, all of those. This is something so small, Johnny. We can never understand the smallest things that has an impact on someone's life. I got a call from Joel one day, and here's how this is when he called me. This is what he said to me Hey, Pastor John. Now that sounds like Mm -hmm. it's instant. I begin to cry and weep. Because at that moment, that title was no longer mine. Mm-hmm. He was prophesying, saying, it'll never leave you. Prophet- prophetically, God spoke in your life umpteen years ago and said, you're going to be a pastor, and you're going to lead shepherds. And you, you know that was another thing spoke in my life, that I'll be a sh- I would be a shepherd of shepherds. And through that, I think we need to see those individuals that are there, even to the smallest degree that have taken a part of our life. What I pray when you made the comment about being on the sidelines, I pray that you do be be that person, Johnny. Many times all we see is the person that's elevated. Mm -hmm. We don't see the person that elevated them. And it's that person that elevated them. Uh, Josh Hanna would become another person, Compassion Network, that came in my life. And literally right away, just pretty much, let's go. 
well, yeah, but you don't understand. No, I don't care. Let's go. You, you've got a call in your life. It's no different. And how God would begin to use me, that's how I'm a part of Compassion Network today because of what he did in my life and what he continues to do in my life. But I think we as men and women of God have got to realize that it's not just standing in a pulpit preaching a sermon. It's what we do in people's lives every day. Exactly. It is. So. Well, listen, folks, we started out the podcast saying that this one was going to be all about redemption. Um, and the reason why is because every single one of us have had hiccups. Every single one of us have had implosions. <laughs> We've had areas in our life where things did just not go the way that we had planned. But it's not the things that happen to us that determine our future. It's what happens inside of us in those moments. And yes, there was a time John talked about it where he felt like um, he was just shutting down and, um, and, and kind of going into a shell and uh, what have you. But luckily, God puts people in your life that come along and try to drag you back out of that shell. Um, a turtle has a shell, can't get rid of the shell, couldn't live without the shell. But if he stayed inside the shell, he'd never move forward. So at some point, we got to break out of the, the things that have hurt us. Um, also, we've come to understand that the places that hurt us are usually the places or the people that hurt us are usually the places and the people that God uses to heal us. So um, which is why wherever you face a failure, um, that eventually becomes the very first place where you're going to go back to try to heal um, and, and move forward um, in your life. Listen, John, there's a lot of people that are going to be listening today that feel like they've imploded, like, like, um, man, they've just blown it. You and I know what that's like. Yeah. Um, Jeremy has no idea cause Jeremy's never blown a thing in his life. Perfect. Perfect guy right here, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jeremy, just really quickly, what would you t say to someone who has felt like they have imploded and they're wondering, you know, what, what do I do right now? Man, I would say this. I, I haven't read a single hero of the faith that didn't implode uh, in Scripture, first off. Secondly, man, and, and I've been doing this 25 years now, and every minister I've ever worked alongside, everyone I've ever known that is at least, we'll call them dreamers because that old men will dream dreams. <laughs> oh, dude. <laughs> wow. So, uh, hey, I'm in that same category. Um, but all of these guys... Uh, and women, they, they've all struggled like for them to truly get past and, and, and be successful. They have to have these moments. I don't think they have to have these moments, but they all have had those moments. And if you look at, you know, King David, this is the biggest one I always go to. He created Absalom out of his own, uh, inadequacy, right? So, uh, I won't dive into that whole story, but the bottom line is, is that Absalom longed for justice and David wasn't ready to deliver justice because he didn't feel like he could mm -hmm. um, based on his own past. So what happens is when we wallow in this self-pity, when we, when we take ourselves and we go, well, we suck, we can't do anything, then what we do is we actually, we're the ones standing in the way of what God wants to do. And, you know, I've got a cordless drill in the garage. When the battery stops working, the drill doesn't go sulk, right? right. I just swap out the battery. And that's really what happens is sometimes we run out of gas. Sometimes we, we have malfunctions, but the, we don't, our tools aren't disposable and neither are we to God. He just repairs us and gets us back into working order. And so I think anyone who's sitting there wallowing, you're just, you're just wasting time and hurting yourself. And you're actually committing this bigger sin of not being available for God to use and that's the, the worst part of it. He absolutely turns all things for good for mm -hmm. those who serve him. Every single thing will be turned to good, to be used for good. And, you know, with my Spiritually Wounded podcast, the people that I've had on there, uh, I've become a real believer if I wasn't already in in how God uses people like that. So I, I have so many people in my mind right now who I know are just sitting around that aren't doing anything because right. they don't feel worthy or they feel stuck, locked. And it's like, man, just you got to make a choice, you know? So I, I don't know. I think the the main thing is, is understanding that no matter what you do, your identity is not wrapped up in what you do, right. but it's in who you are. You are a child of God. So no matter what you do, you'll always be a child of God, an heir to the, the throne, right? I mean, you are brothers with Jesus, 
That's right. a pretty big deal. Right. <laughs> and so we got to throw away our actions and and not let our actions define us, both good and good bad. Good and bad. That's right. Because the good ones are the ones where that we, we get all propped up and proud. Our actions have nothing to do with this. And, you know, something that I've, I've told you about, uh, John, well, Johnny, <laughs> is... Um, you know, I had the opportunity to see the biggest impact that I know that I've ever made. Now, I could have made other big impacts that I don't know about, but um, I won't go through that whole story here. But I will just say this, that we are likely to not know the biggest impact that we ever make. God yeah. will use us in ways just like I guarantee you, Joel Tassiello does not know calling uh, John and saying, Pastor, did right. what it did. But it yeah. But it had that effect, and we all have that. There, there's things that that John, you've done, that Johnny, you've done, that you have no idea of how big of an impact it's made. And so we have to just get up every day, and this is the humility of it all, to trust that God's going to use us where we are right now in this moment. Whoever's listening to this podcast, there's somebody out there who's absolutely being changed and altered by one of the things or some of the things that we've said here today. Mm-hmm. And trusting God for that it's literally, it's like planting a seed. I don't know that either one of you know how to make a seed grow. I don't know how to make a seed grow. I know how to cultivate a seed to give it a best chance for growing. And that is the faith without works, right? I've got to have my faith, this seed, I got to plant it. I got to work. When I plant it in a good soil, water it, give it sunlight, nutrients, all those things still is not what makes it grow. It just creates a place for it to grow. Right. And God's the one that does the growing. Totally. And so that's where we are. We got to trust that God will be the one that does the growing in all our lives. That's right. And John, I know we're about out of time. I appreciate you taking time. Um, and uh, I would love to explore um, having you back on maybe one of our other podcasts, but I'd like to do one just on leadership. You know, how how uh, we we learn to lead out of transition times. Um, let me know. I, I'd love to do it. And, and John, let me throw this in real quick as we talk about redemption. Uh, with your audience, to me, outside of the redemption of Christ Jesus, the greatest stories is the story of Peter. And in John 21, that became my story. And the reason being is, is because when you read that story of how he had denied Christ three times, and the passage there says, I'm going fishing. And I always tell people, look at that passage. He's not really saying he's going fishing. What Peter is saying is, I quit. I quit. That's right. I'm finished. But in that story, one of the parts you need to realize is, is it says the beloved. We know that's John. Uh, John wasn't like the rest of the disciples that went just to kind of leave. I think God placed John there because it was John that pointed out to Peter. That's Jesus on the seashore, Peter. All of us need to learn how to be that guy, that John who helps our friends around us. Because it was through John pointing out Peter that Peter, and we talk about Peter getting out of the boat and walking on water. The greatest thing that Peter ever did was not when he got out of the boat and walked on water. The greatest story is when Peter jumped out of the boat and didn't want to walk on water. He just wanted to get to the seashore where Jesus was. And I tell everybody that when it comes to this redemption that we talk so much about, God never gives up on us. He loves us. Finally, when he sits down with Jesus that day, and Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, well, you know that I love you. We know that he says it three times. But I always say this. Go look at those verses. He used the word love, agape, and phileo. Mm-hmm. And that's what he's saying there is this. So, Peter, do you love me? Peter replies back, well, I like you. Will you love me? Yeah, I like you. Finally, the last time Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? This time he used the word phileo. I like you. And Peter gets it. We've got to learn that when we love God and put our faith in God, no matter what mistakes we've made, no matter what our failures or falters are, just like that day he restored Peter, God can restore us. And if you're watching and you've got those failures in your life, I want you to understand that God forgives, God redeems, and God does have a future. That's right. And in the era that we're living in when this podcast is being recorded, we are right in the midst of what, what I truly believe is the greatest reset moment in my lifetime everything is is getting reset the church that has been desperately in need of getting reset it's happening um because john you described earlier that for so many of us growing up in church we began to define success um by numbers and noses you know noses and nickels if, if you will um and that whole definition is now getting redefined um and we're having to come back to well god what is what is a win 
from your vantage point, uh, from the vantage point that never gives up on anybody. So we've got this reset that's going on in the church. We've got a reset that's going on in culture that has resulted in the cancel culture where if you don't if you don't say things the way we think you ought to say them if you don't believe things the way we think you should or we're just going to we're just going to shut you out and so there are all these people some of you listening today man you feel like there's nobody who believes in me. I listen to you guys talking about God believing in me, but, but I don't have uh, John. I don't have your dad or Johnny. I don't have your family or, or anybody else who's going to believe in me when I'm, when I'm down. And I want to tell you for everybody listening, choose to be that person who believes in others, even when they mess up, Amen. choose to be that person because you have no idea how just a simple phone call or a hug or a friendship can be used by God to pull someone out of a tailspin and actually refuel them for the trajectory that God yet has for their lives. So I just, I just want to encourage you, man, to all of us to be that to other people, because that really is the, the semblance of redemption. Redemption is all about taking things that were meant one way and turning them in a different way direction god does that with all of our lives when we mess up and we think we've blown it he loves to come in and take our deflated lives and reinflate them with his belief in us i want to thank john leggett for being with us today i want to thank my co-host today jeremy griffin i want to encourage all of you never be satisfied with who you are keep working hard to get healthy mentally healthy spiritually Get healthy physically because the world deserves a renewed you. We'll see you next time. Thanks for being with us. Bye-bye.